probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me for his last day this week is... Zachary T. Owen, big fan of horror and cult movies, and also I am a horror author. Awesome. Thanks for wrapping up the, uh, wrapping up the week with us, Zach. No problem. So this minute, uh, minute number five, was where we kind of really start to uh, get into the meat of the movie. It uh, begins with the very first uh, gunshot at the dog, and then um, it goes all the way up to the last couple seconds are where we get to meet our hero of the film, R.J. McCready, the helicopter pilot played by Kurt Russell. So I guess one of the kind of weird little uh, bits of minutia that I'll be tracking throughout this podcast for whatever reason, <laughs> um, I read somewhere that there are uh, there are 52 gunshots in this movie, which... It's kind of funny to think about when you when I think about the thing I don't think it, about it as like a a really gun heavy movie but you know I guess it is and and this first part has a lot of that but this minute contains uh by my count 12 of those uh those shots so he's got to fire off a lot at the dog. That's kind of interesting. I also never really thought of the film in those terms and it's it's funny the kind of things you notice about a movie after you've seen it so many times uh like it's just like uh, Evil Dead Two. Every time I watch it, there there's some little tiny minuscule, not really even relevant detail, but something I always pick up that I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that before. And I I think with the thing, there's a lot of those moments too, but they're a little harder to find because the the movie is just so good at just sucking you straight into its universe. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those ones that no matter how many times I watch it, I I can't help but get very invested in it and uh it's hard to kind of sit back and analyze it rather than just you know getting getting into the movie which is you know a testament to how well crafted it is from from all fronts but so here we see the the helicopter flying by and then um we get to glimpse the base for the first time um the outpost 31 the uh, the antarctic research station where where most of the story takes place so as we're kind of flying by the base we see one character outside which is keith childs or keith childs <laughs> keith, <laughs> keith david playing childs who's outside working on the tractor that's one of the things that i think although i do think the thing does a really good job of differentiating the characters in terms of like their personalities and their roles in the story it doesn't necessarily define what they do or why they're at the base that well in a lot of cases. Yeah, I, I still don't know what Childs really does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and this but shot, he's a favorite character of mine, though. Oh, definitely. Childs is awesome. And and so is Keith David. I mean, he's you know a character yes. actor. He's been he in. He elevates every movie he's in. He could be in a movie that's total crap, but every scene that he's in is just great. Yeah, he's he's awesome. And even, even just as a, a, a person outside of movies and all his interviews and stuff, he seems like a very funny you know, likable guy too, which doesn't, doesn't hurt. Yeah. This, this scene, this shot of him outside is like the only time we ever get a hint at what he does, which apparently he's one of the mechanics on the base. 
Like, okay. Oh yeah, exactly. That was exactly what I said. <laughs> yeah. I've now learned what he does after, you know, yeah. So, probably almost two decades. <laughs> so he's not just out there looking for, you know, something in the glove box. He's, <laughs> he's fixing the, the, uh, the snowmobile, I guess. So then we, we kind of move into the, uh, the rec room, which is like kind of one of the iconic locations of the movie where a lot of the kind of pivotal scenes take place. Um, and we see almost every character in the movie um, is in that shot of the rec room. Um, Blair and, and Dr. Copper are playing ping pong and they're all just kind of hanging out. And it's funny that shot only lasts a few seconds, but if you actually, you know, if you're watching the movie one minute at a time, <laughs> you, you tend to kind of pick out some other stuff. So it's interesting to see that like windows is in the background playing guitar. Cause he's like uh, him, I guess him and Palmer are kind of the, the hippies of the group a little bit. <laughs> Fuchs is like ever the scientist he's reading. Palmer is true to character is playing pinball which um, I guess it's interesting to note that I guess it's kind of an in-joke that the two pinball machines are Asteroids and Heat Wave, which both kind of play on, I guess, what happens in the movie, which is kind of funny. I love uh, little pieces of humor like that that uh, you don't always pick out when you see a movie, but when you really take it apart, a lot of filmmakers have a really good sense of humor, even despite, you know, the content of the film. Like, you know, this is a, a bleak, desolate movie. And here we have this little joke about, you know, space adventure, uh, <laughs> pinball machines. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's one of those things too, that just makes you appreciate all the work that goes into a movie. Yeah. So we see just about everybody in the rec room. I think it's worth noting that, uh, I kind of love that the first time you see these characters, you see Wilford Brimley playing ping pong which I don't know why, but I, that makes me very happy. <laughs> me too. And also it's the only point in the film where his character really gets to do anything even remotely relaxing. I mean, <laughs> the arc of Blair is is a very tragic one. So it's nice <laughs> to see that he had a little moment right at the beginning where things were okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Blair is not known to be a guy that has a lot of fun in this movie. So um, I'm glad he's uh, glad he gets to play some ping pong. That's That's kind of good. <laughs> Oh, and I did have a note, too, that there's very slight difference in the script. Just another thing that kind of differentiates kind of what these characters do. Like Norris, I would not have known what he did. Um, I know in, the, in I think in the, the original novella, he's um, a, either a physicist or a biologist or something like that. Because Norris is kind of one of the kind of one of the major characters in the in the book. Yeah. But in this, he's the meteorologist, which I don't think it ever comes to play in the movie. Um, I might be missing like one line somewhere. But yeah, in, in this initial shot in the script, Childs is working on the tractor and Norris and Bennings are sending up a weather balloon, which the script is like weirdly specific that there's like these red weather balloons floating around the base. So obviously that gives a little bit more purpose to the characters and, and maybe explains a little bit more about why they're all there in Antarctica, which, you know, the movie doesn't really dive into. Yeah. I've always thought it's a, quite an interesting group of people we have here and the personalities seem so vastly different that it's almost like, what are these guys all doing together? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a great group of characters and I, I think they did a really good job of casting and Bill Lancaster did a, a great job of kind of, you know, writing them all to be very, very, most of them are pretty different from each other. It's pretty easy to tell them apart, but yeah, it's definitely not real clear or explained why any of these guys ended up in Antarctica. Uh, you know, it is a very interesting group of group of dudes. So speaking of that, we do get to uh, meet the protagonist of the film here. 
in the last few minutes, we see uh, we see somebody drop some ice into a cup and pour some J and B in there, and uh, <laughs> and then for the last couple of frames, we get to see Kurt Russell as R. J. McCready. I think that introduction says it all. <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, I, I love that he's basically the reluctant hero in this movie. I mean, he he's just such a no nonsense character, and he's not necessarily even more intelligent than anybody else. He just really has no patience for bullshit. And that's kind of his advantage in this film, I think. Yeah, he's kind of a classic Carpenter character in that sense, I think. But yeah, he's a very interesting kind of protagonist for the movie because, yeah, like you say, he is kind of the reluctant hero. But even like, you know, he's not even necessarily the main character for a big chunk of the movie, except for the fact that we do get this kind of opening. Um, you know, we get a lot more focus on him in the beginning here. With uh, with this and with the chess computer that that comes yeah, he's, up, he's kind of in the background until he needs to step forward, which seems to follow his character pretty well. Like that says a lot about McCready as a character, and really paints a personality there that um, we wouldn't really get if like just right away we got all this screen time with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's definitely um, it's an interesting way to kind of set set him up. And it's hard to think about this movie with anybody else in the lead, but apparently there were a lot of people considered for this role, which is actually really surprising given, I guess this is as good a time as any to mention that, um, you know, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter had some history together. They had done uh, uh, Escape from New York only, you know, a year before they started filming this um, together. But we mentioned it uh, in the last episode, I think the uh, the Elvis biopic that was uh, it was a TV movie, I think, right? Yeah, I believe it was – it may have initially been a miniseries. It's, it has a very long running time. Yeah, I think it's it. like two and a half hours long or something. And that's uh, you know that's when they were first introduced. And the interesting thing too about their relationship is that you know John Carpenter has always been an outspoken liberal, almost kind of a hippie really. And yeah. I, I guess uh, Kurt Russell is more conservative and it's quite extreme. And John Carpenter has said, you know, our politics – don't gel at all and we don't agree on much but we love film to such an extent that that doesn't even matter like we have a great working relationship and we have like a together we have a vision and i've always thought that, that was interesting uh that they're so different but they they collaborated so many times and uh, with the exception of escape from la every uh thing that russell and carpenter work on is like kind of a the height of uh, Carpenter's career, like a pivotal moment. I mean, I haven't watched Elvis, so I can't really speak for that movie, but a lot of people have said that it's it's really good. And even Escape from L.A., I think, you know, it's sort of goofy, but just seeing Carpenter and Russell work together is a joy, and it, it carries that movie despite its deficiencies. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, they've definitely got one of those kind of interesting kind of friendships and partnerships, you know, in, in movie history. I think they're they're definitely he's definitely the first actor you think of when you think of a John Carpenter movie, regardless of, you know, he's he's been in, I think, five of, of Carpenter's movie, which I was actually yeah, I that was less so. than I thought just when I was kind of thinking off the top of my head. But, but yeah, like you said, they're definitely kind of a lot in a lot. Most cases, they're kind of the pivotal Carpenter movies. But uh yeah, apparently a bunch of other people were considered for the role, some weirder than others. You know, thinking about the time that this came out, some of these are not surprising, but Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges. I could see Jeff Bridges. I don't think the movie would have worked with Nick Nolte, though. Yeah, I would agree. But yeah, Jeff Bridges kind of has the same sort of, I could see him playing this role. Yeah, they're, they're sort of similar. 
but uh, Harrison Ford and Clint Eastwood, which obviously was just like, you know, maybe it was <laughs> like they had the budget to kind of court those kind of people. And that was why. But it seems like it would be a very, very different movie with either of them. And then probably the weirdest one. Uh, apparently uh, he was a, an unknown at the time, but uh, this person really campaigned for it, really wanted the role of McCready, and that's Fred Ward, which is kind of interesting. I could I could see him doing this. I mean, I don't think he's of the same caliber as um, as Kurt Russell, but I could definitely see him uh, him pulling this role off. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting. A lot of those choices do kind of make sense. I mean, I'm glad we got Kurt Russell, but uh, it's not quite as. Um jarring to hear those names as i might have expected Th- though i think clint eastwood would have been a strange choice <laughs> yeah that I mean, it makes sense because of you know the western thing that carpenter's obsessed with but yeah yeah him and harrison ford definitely w- would have been uh, this movie could have been vastly different yeah in in very strange ways <laughs> but yeah it's interesting to think you know like we said there's very little setup for who these characters are or why they're there but the script opens up with uh with just like a one line description of each character and from McCready says he's 35 years old. He's a helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold. The pay is good. (laughs) So I think in the, in commentaries and and stuff, Kurt Russell said that he had kind of talked with John Carpenter about, you know, giving him a little bit of a backstory and that maybe he was a, uh, a Vietnam war vet who, um, you know, saw some stuff and, and couldn't get over it. So this was his way of kind of getting away from it. So it's not that he really, um, cares about what he does he's just trying to you know get away and and this was the the paying job that got him the farthest away from you know everything that was going on which is kind of an interesting interesting backstory i could i could see that kind of working with the character for sure um even if it obviously doesn't directly come into play yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think knowing that kind of enhances mccready a little bit for me and it does seem at no point in the movie does he really give much of a shit about these people he's just kind of doing his own thing and it sets him apart and you know the the idea of that backstory only further emphasizes that yeah definitely i mean he's he's a reluctant hero but he's also kind of a just doesn't care about about it so he's 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 a, he's a very different kind of hero i guess but you know i guess kind of towards the end of the film if you want to say he's got an arc it's i guess that he eventually cares about not not about saving himself or anybody else really but about saving the rest of the planet from getting infected yeah and that that is quite quite an end to his arc i mean and it also kind of shows that i mean to me he's sort of a misanthrope but he's not he's not heartless yeah definitely i mean it's it's not like he he doesn't really show a whole lot of like you know friendship he's not really buddy buddy with anybody else on the on the cast and even even the fact that he lives in a shack uh, that's not even part of the main base is you know kind of furthers that i guess but but yeah i guess if you want to kind of craft that kind of arc onto it and that that also would you know kind of interestingly plays with that idea of a of a war vet too that he kind of regain regains not i guess not faith in humanity but like a care about humanity kind of thing is kind of an interesting through line that is maybe kind of subtle, subtly placed in there. But yeah, the the other thing I guess to, um, to mention here is that, you know, this is the first time when we see most of the cast. And one of the things that, uh, that always gets brought up about the thing uh, now is that it is an all male cast. Yes. Which is pretty interesting and, and, and maybe a little strange too, especially considering that the original movie does have right. a few roles for women in it too. And, um, and it's not like a logic thing either. Cause it's, it, you know, it seems kind of silly to assume that there wouldn't be any female scientists at the research station too. 
and it's it's very weird and interesting hearing because obviously this gets brought up a lot to to John Carpenter and his response is always like I don't know it's weird he seemed to kind of excited about it which is strange he's always like he thought it would be more streamlined and that he felt like there'd be less distraction for the both both like in in real life filming it and also for the characters if there was no like romance if it was just purely survival I guess which I, I guess there's kind of an argument for that but um. Yeah, it's it's one of the weirder things about this movie that I, I don't I always have a little trouble coming to grips with, I guess. Um, it doesn't bother me so much, if only because in some of other uh, of Carpenter's movies, he do, he does have female characters, and sometimes they're pretty uh, well written and strong. Like uh, in the Fog, uh, Adrian Barbeau is particularly great um and his work with jamie lee curtis is always really good though i could see why people would be a, a little bit off put by the the cast of the thing being all male um i mean i don't know if maybe he was just following he was you know trying to follow who goes there in which i believe there are also no women characters yeah i think you're right but um i mean he could have easily written one into the screenplay or bill lancaster rather uh and it probably still would have worked very well as a movie but it sort of is what it is. And also, you know, I think since he had very romantic notions about Westerns and Westerns tend to be these kind of old school sort of very masculine movies that maybe some of that element is at play here. I mean, this movie isn't really a Western, but a lot of Western elements are in sure. Carpenter's films. But uh, and th that is something I have always sort of found interesting and in an interview, he did say something about the uh, remake, like, this time there's a chick in it, uh, which is sort of funny. Uh, so, I mean, I wonder, like, if he would have made the movie a few years later, if it would have still been an all-male cast, or how that would have changed. Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's just one of those kind of interesting bits of trivia that I'm sure there's there's maybe more to it behind the scenes, Who who knows. But, yeah, it's just one of those things that always makes me think about, too, like, you know, whether this story is like inherently, if there's like an inherent masculinity to the story necessarily. And I, I don't know that there really is. I think it's more about kind of humanity and, and, you know, the fact that you can never know who's, who somebody is, no matter how close you are to them and that kind of terrifying theme. But yeah, I mean, it's not like uh it's not like Cronenberg or, or somebody else who, you know, the idea of birth and, and uh, reproduction is like key to the horror, like the horror. And this is not, at all gendered, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I, I guess too, the, um, there was only one woman on the crew. Um, I don't, I don't remember what, uh, what she did on the crew, but she was pregnant when they started filming. And so she was only on the crew for like a month and then had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So just one of, one of those things, I guess, but yeah. So I guess one of the thing to kind of ask about is given that we were introduced to our, uh, to the, the hero of the movie here. Do you have any other kind of Kurt Russell roles that you are really fond of outside of the thing? Or is this kind of the top of the line for him? Uh, I would say, and I mean, this is an obvious answer, but you know, most of his Carpenter collaborations, really. I mean, I think he's great in Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, Carpenter has actually commented on saying that that whole character is basically, he's really the sidekick and he's incompetent and he mm -hmm. thinks he's the hero and he, he really, you know, 
doesn't matter as much in the overall story as he thinks he does, and I've always enjoyed that about that movie. And you know, I love the the grittiness of Snake Plissken and Escape from New York. And certainly, I've liked other movies that I've seen Kurt Russell in, but the definitive roles that he's played for me are you know always in Carpenter films. Yeah, I think the only one that that off the top of my head, anyways, that really strikes me as as one of my favorites that's not a Carpenter movie is um, in Death Proof. As a stuntman, Mike, I think he's a he's a pretty excellent character. As yeah, I like him a lot in that too. It's got that great just kind of weirdness to it, where it's Tarantino captures the that B moviness of it so perfectly, in that he turns from this like super hardened badass to this like crying weirdo. <laughs> yeah, at the end. and I didn't quite grasp and appreciate that enough when I first saw the movie, but then I started to reflect on it, and I really like that about about that character. Yeah, um, same here. And I, you know, Kurt Russell's had an interesting career, and uh, I mean, I never really thought about it. But growing up, I, I saw him in a lot of movies, and I, I mean, I believe he started with Disney. Really, he was just a kid, right? Yeah, I think he was. He was in a lot of Disney movies as a kid, and it's it's funny if you go back and look, he looks exactly the same, just like you know, yeah, he, fr- freckled. He, <laughs> he doesn't really age. Um, but my family was really obsessed with Captain Ron growing up. <laughs> And it's hardly a great movie, but I have a lot of nostalgia for it. Uh, And Kurt Russell is almost kind of playing a Carpenter-type character in that movie. He's just like a hard-ass that doesn't care about a lot. But then push comes to shove, and he tries to do the right thing. Yeah, that's one I have not seen, but I I watched the trailer just the other day because I was my wife apparently saw it a lot when she was younger, and and, and I was one of her family favorites too. And it looks totally ridiculous. And I I oh, it's definitely ridiculous. I kind of want to watch it now. But yeah, I mean the the other one that really springs to mind for me is uh like you said um Big Trouble in Little China that I'm totally going to lose some some nerd cred here but um I just saw Big Trouble in Little China for the first time like last year which it's I, so good. It is. I have no idea how I've avoided or why I avoided it for so long cuz I adore it now. It's it's so good. And yeah, I mean like you said just the idea that he's kind of he's supposed to be the hero but he's really just sort of this bumbling goofball that kind of wanders through the story and right. while everything else is happening it's like around he walked, him. He walked into the story and he doesn't really belong almost. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a funny idea and, and that would, it would totally fall apart without Kurt Russell's character. Um, and I think that's, you know, just like from the little bit I've seen of, of him outside of movies, like, you know, talking in the commentary and interviews and stuff, he's very much, he has that kind of sense of humor. He's very goofy and like, cracking you know silly jokes and stuff and you know i think maybe that's you know you you mentioned that um him and john carpenter have like very opposite political views and stuff but i think it probably helps they both i think they have the same sense of humor too kurt russell definitely seems to get that kind of the kind of humor that carpenter writes into a lot of his characters um better than better than a lot of the other leads that uh he's certainly one of the more memorable leads for carpenter's movies i think that's probably why yeah i agree and it's nice uh, knowing that they have that kind of relationship and seeing that kind of humor kind of uh, adds a human element, I think, to Carpenter films that would maybe be missing otherwise. Not that he doesn't have good characters or you know the casting isn't right or anything, but Carpenter is just sort of, to me, like the embodiment of – or not Carpenter, Kurt Russell – the embodiment of I guess what you would call an ideal John Carpenter character. Yeah, most most definitely. And it just makes you wonder about some of his other movies if they would have benefited from having 
you know, someone on the level of, of Kurt Russell. I mean, like we, we talked a, a little bit about Prince of Darkness as being one of our favorite uh, Carpenter movies. And that's one that I think the main, maybe the main thing that kind of weighs it down and, and hasn't made it quite a cult classic like some of these others is that there isn't really a Kurt Russell in that movie. It's there's a lot of the main characters are not particularly, you know, differentiated or memorable, I guess. No, there's, there's too many characters in that movie though. I do think a lot of the characters are more interesting than given credit. And there's quite a few that I really like, but if they would have just trimmed the cast a little bit, I think people would remember the movie more fondly, but it does share uh, actors with other Carpenter films, which I really enjoy about it. I mean, he tends to, reuse a lot of people but yeah. i like seeing um you know two actors from big trouble in little china in that in addition to donald pleasance like it was a nice uh like john carpenter's greatest hits of like actors excluding kurt russell and jamie lee curtis yeah that's true i didn't think about that yeah so kurt russell john carpenter you know they're the uh they're one of the the great couples of hollywood i guess and especially in genre filmmaking for sure they're they're two of the uh two of the big highlights there I think that's kind of it for what I had for uh, for minute number five. It's mostly mostly just checking out that uh, that rec room and then um, being introduced to our main character. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about this uh, this minute? I've always found it sort of fascinating that aside from being known for the thing, Wilford Brimley is mostly just known <laughs> for those diabetes ads. Um, <laughs> And it's, I don't know, that's the only thing I really think of, I guess sometimes Seinfeld, uh, when I think of Wilford Brimley. And I, I couldn't even really tell you what else he's in. So he's someone I'd like to investigate more. But. <laughs> yeah, he's um he's a fascinating person who, <laughs> this he's uh, definitely will get brought up a lot in this podcast. But um I will never forget the moment when uh, somebody pointed out to me that uh, the guy from the diabetes commercials was... Blair from the thing and it like yeah. totally blew my mind like I was I've, I don't think I've ever been as shocked by by like a, <laughs> a bit of trivia as that yeah because I, I had grown up you know he was always like you know before memes were a thing like he was almost a meme with me and my friends like you know the, the precursor to memes yeah <laughs> the uh, the diabetes commercials we always used to quote and stuff so it was I totally blew my mind when I found that out and it this is even among his his film career, where I, I think he primarily played like cowboys and stuff like that, um, and he was in the Quaker Oats commercials, uh, which are pretty great if you've never seen them. Uh, this is an extremely odd choice of movie for him to be in. And yeah, I wonder what brought him into it, really. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's it's funny. He he speaks very very highly of John Carpenter, and John Carpenter speaks very very highly of him. Like it seems like they've been friends ever since they made this movie together. But Wilford Brimley is like. Every time I interview him or anything about this movie, it's 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 hilarious because he has like zero interest in this. And he talks about how it's like how he thinks the movie's really well made, but that uh, it's it really it's just a movie about slimy rubber dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of little bits of interesting Wilford Brimley trivia that uh, we'll, we'll definitely bring up as we go. But, yeah, it's pretty interesting that he's in this movie at all. And and one of the key key players too. He's not like a background person. He's you know outside of McCready, he's probably the next most important character. Cool. Well, I think that uh think that'll probably wrap up minute number five, and um that wraps up our our first week of the show as well. So um thanks so much for being on, man. I really appreciate it. Oh no problem. I've enjoyed it. So last chance at the bat. Anything anything else you wanted to mention about the movie or, or anything you want to plug or anything like that? I mean, I really don't think there's much about the movie. I I can say that. 
we probably haven't already said, at least covering these these first five minutes. And as for plugging, um, you know, if you're listening to this and by now you, you haven't uh, <laughs> looked up my stuff, I'm going to remind you again. Uh, Zachary T. Owen on Amazon.com. And, you know, obviously nobody is under any obligation to read any of it, but it would be cool. And I'm very influenced by, you know, genre filmmaking like John Carpenter and George Romero and all those guys. So. Yes, and and like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I've I've read a good chunk of uh, of Zach's stuff, and I I really enjoy it too. So I can I can personally recommend it. With some there's some excellent stories um, in those in those books. So definitely, we'll put those links up, and um, I encourage everybody to check those out. So you know, check those links out and and, and support our guests and everything. But um, I guess that'll kind of wrap up our first week. So thanks so much for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.